Welcome to the Evidence-Based Therapist, where we read so you don't have to. Here you'll find clinicians and researchers discussing cutting-edge research from the embodied relational sciences, explaining why and how people work together to find healing. Thanks for checking out this podcast. The Evidence-Based Therapist is a project of Think Beyond, a listener-funded media house focused on connecting humans through therapy and art. To keep this podcast going, we'd love for you to support us on Patreon by searching patreon.com slash thinkbeyondhealing in your favorite web browser. And don't forget to check out our new merch by going to our website at connectbeyondhealing.com and clicking on the merchandise tab. Hey, welcome back to the Evidence-Based Therapist, where we read so you don't have to, but we would love it if you did. Nailed it. We're back in person. <laughs> yes. That's amazing. Oh, it feels uh, so good. Comfy couch. Yeah, it's nice. No delay. No delay. I did laugh no how long we, we meditated on yeah. what it's like to be separate. Oh, <laughs> yeah. it's really sweet. Yeah. I feel like that a was meditation a good... on what it's like to be separate. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I'd read that. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah. Hi. This is a new season. Yeah. Well, this is episode I, zero. I imagine that it will be in some form of the title or subtitle that this is a new season. So I think so. Okay. I'm not sure. I, maybe I didn't, not. Maybe, I think I'll actually post okay. like. Like uh, original, so I it. the process of original research, or some, okay. I'll come up okay, with something, yeah. yeah, something witty. <laughs> but what I love about this conversation, as I'm just now realizing, is we have not foreshadowed publicly that there's a new season coming or what it was. We haven't talked about it at all. Nope. The people listening right now are just learning what we're going to be talking about. <laughs> you are in a new time. <laughs> if you're listening to this, welcome to the new time. Welcome to the present. Yeah. 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 And. One of the things I feel like we were talking about that led to this discussion was kind of it felt like the last series of articles gave us this like freedom to really launch into anything we wanted. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we were talking about implicit subcortical processes, information flow, understanding reward and our like past, present, future orientation to life. Like, I mean, we could have gone anywhere. Yeah. And so then the question was, where do we go? Yeah. And we came up with an idea. Well, yeah. That- and I just want to talk. I want to press pause on that and deepen into what that was like. Because to me, I, at least when I'm listening to podcasts, I love to hear how people are thinking about what they're doing. Because this is a very volitional, intentional thing we're doing. Mm-hmm. Sitting down to have a conversation, record it, edit it, produce it, publish it. Um, we just sat outside together <laughs> just a week ago. Yep. And we're talking about, for Caleb and I, this is a project that we want to continue doing, the evidence-based therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's just selfishly. <laughs> like I oh, just love easily. doing it and <laughs> it's just really fun. Um, so with that though, what, what other reasons do we have for doing this? this episode so that's kind of where we started talking in our in our meeting last week and i'd love to hear as you sit here now a week later like what your experience of that conversation was like hmm i think it oh that's that's an interesting where my mind just went but my my mind went to the experience that you have when you like sit down this is and it can happen in many different zones but if you wanted to read something or look up something interesting, like, and you didn't have something like the YouTube homepage where the algorithm is already recommending things. Yeah. But you have to like sit there and think, what keywords am I going to type into this thing? Yeah. To get yeah, wherever I want to go. Like yeah. Yeah. Blank. Just a search bar. Yeah. And that conversation started as the blank search bar. And then I think we started to type in some keywords that started to click ideas yeah, I love and that. give some kind of direction. But to me, it was, an, it was a fascinating 
I walked away from that conversation thinking, so it is true that there is no information that's unmediated. Like every bit of information has some sort of mediating source. Yeah. And because one of the things we were talking about is like, we've been pretty and unreserved about it, but pretty selfish in what articles we're choosing. We're not <laughs> choosing like the most cited in the world. We're not yeah. choosing these like giant seminal articles. We're choosing things that we find interesting and creating a story arc, yep. a lit review that is uh, connected to what, we find, in, and, yeah, what yep. we find important. Yep. Um, and, and it's our podcast. Yeah. That was an important <laughs> part of that conversation. Yes, just yes. like us, just like comfortably owning. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> This know. is our lit review. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it doesn't need to be anything else. Yeah, and that coming also on the heels of like part of the conversation was how much research you're doing, just kind of in you're being me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. PhD work, personal desires, and just like yeah. the writing of research. Yeah, um, and then seeing the to me it felt like two neuron two neurons cross the synaptic gap of like, oh yeah, you know, we could just keep reading articles endlessly. Like we will never have stop. articles that, yeah, we'll never stop <laughs> yeah. and we'll never have a shortage of articles. Like right. if, if articles just stopped being written today, we would have enough for the rest of our lives. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So we could do that, which would be staying on the same neuron that we're doing. And could be interesting. Oh, for sure. There's always... Yeah. There's always something interesting We would just out there. have had a very different conversation than we did on Tuesday. I think yeah, yeah. if that were the case, we would have been talking about what, what mode of curation do we want to try out for where to go next? Yeah. Like how, you know, with that vastness of an endless, <laughs> uh, you know, reasonably endless um, amount of research out there, where would we want to start? How would, like, what purpose? It, to me, it felt almost like we'd just be meandering. Yeah. We'd start another section. We yeah. went on the EBT train, and like, did some, looking through RCTs. We did relational sciences before did that. Neuroscience. Did some neuroscience. Did some attachment. Give some flavor to the, yeah, to the EBT complexities. Some psychoanalysis. Yeah. Good. We could, we could keep doing that. But what felt resonant with me is that the idea we jump to feels like it has unconsciously been a part of the intro of the podcast this whole time. I love this. Because we couldn't even hold on to the phrase where we read so you don't have to. I don't know when we started saying the second half, but right. it doesn't, my memory, and it might be wrong, but my memory feels like it wasn't that long it, after we started. So. Yeah, like that we started saying like, but we don't just want to be another source that you consume. We had a, a much longer caveat. It felt yeah. like then, you know, because I don't remember when the parenthetical joke started, but yeah. like, yeah, it, it was always from the very beginning, like, this is just a fun thing to say, like where we read so you don't have to, but the whole goal is that you do. Is that, yeah, listeners would be some form of an active participant. Yeah, um, engaged. Both in... The conversation we're having, the conversations they're having with others, and the conversation at large happening in the quote-unquote research field. Yeah. The helping profession. Yeah. Um, and this, this is a part to kind of set up our first point here that we wanted to talk about. But in us continuing to do that, one of the points that we talked about last week was, is that a congruent step forward? on the blank slate that is this new season for what the initial and present vision for the podcast is. Hmm. Do we want to continue to be the digester of the research for the listeners mm -hmm. and then invite them to interact with us having already digested something? Mm -hmm. Because unless we email or get on Zoom with them, it is linear. Yeah, yeah. They're digesting with us, but they can't feed back into Mm -hmm. the conversation yeah so it necessarily so it's kind of we're digesting first then they get it then they are talking back to us maybe in their you know in their episode yeah oh. sorry if that's that, uh, the air the air just kicked on <laughs> i'll see what i can do about that in, in post but <laughs> haven't heard that yet um it is warm outside 
Yeah. Which is it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. It's gonna <laughs> to, be fine. To uh very non summary people yeah. <laughs> saying it's warm outside. <laughs> That's true. Other people would be like, oh my God, it's so warm Thankfully, outside. Thankfully, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of hot. Like, <laughs> so, um, yeah, we could continue to be the first digester, but we thought that maybe something else was a more congruence. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know how you feel about this, but in all of the consultation we do with people, who've both taken our trainings and are aware of our model for case conceptualization and those who haven't who just are seeking sources of connection and meaning making there's a fascinating phenomenon in that there are so many people who know so much but there's something about just consuming information Mm. that limits like what it means to be a good therapist. Like you can have all the information in the world and it, yeah. there's something about the next step, which I think is where we, we decided to start this next season is you have to create something with the information that you Yeah. Consume. From your discovery. Yeah. 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 And, and in therapy, that's, that's such a beautiful like co-creation. Yeah. That you're learning how to, share a language with the client whether that is explicit or implicit with the information that you hold consciously or unconsciously yeah um but then in this podcast wanting to also bring readers along to participate in seeing what it's like to not only be a consumer of research Mm -hmm. but also be a producer of research yeah yes a producer research i like that because our i guess just to say (laughs) explicitly like what we're wanting to do is use this season of the podcast to chronicle our journey of publishing a manuscript together we're going to publish an article we're going to publish an article cue super cool intro sequence yeah that's right (laughs) if this was a video it would be really cool uh like splice together yeah like of the process of making stuff flipping open books yeah throwing paper slamming a keyboard (laughs) yelling at a research librarian (laughs) we wouldn't yell but yeah yeah just like kindly give us the keywords whisper strongly yeah 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 yeah, with some eyebrows going on (laughs) yeah yell with my eyebrows yeah maybe like frantically looking around stacks of books yes yes yes. (laughs) (laughs) typing vigorously (laughs) i'm seeing the montage in my head now i think it has to happen let's call tyler stay tuned for that (laughs) (laughs) but we are we are the goal is that throughout this season we will continue to read and disseminate part of research articles but yeah it will now be a part of the larger season story arc of by the end we will publish an article right and i love this so much for so many reasons but i can't think of a more authentic journey to showcase in the podcast mm. of what we're trying, like what we're talking about, where we yeah. read so you don't have to, but we hope you do, et cetera. Yeah. Evidence-based therapists, like let's actually use this space to process and share and invite you as the listener into that work. Yeah. Um, when there's a, there's an identity like dissonance there, yeah. I think with what we're taught as counselors, as we're just, the boots on the ground people. Yeah. We just do the work and research is for the other, these other people yeah. who have time and resources and the brains and the degrees. Yeah. Um, the experience of yeah. doing it. Yeah. And as clinicians, you hope that what you're doing is evidence based. And so that's your relationship to research is like, is someone saying in a new way what I need to be doing mm. in the room? Yeah. Again, this is just my bend, but like I think the community of psychoanalysts have a have a, a slightly different, different flavor, which illuminates like a a potential like growth point for us as counselors that in the psychoanalytic community, like there is a sort of subscript that you will be writing 
reading, presenting at seminars, yeah, case studies and vignettes that um, give give um, information about the complexity of what it means to diagnose, treat, or just be a therapist. Yeah, yeah, and part of me is wanting to spin into this just a little bit, but I feel like we use a, an umbrella term as therapist a lot. And in in many regards, I think that's really appropriate and beautiful because it's it's unifying of our helping field. Um, but there's a ton of diversity that that undermines in our flippancy um, as we use it. Just for general, you know, there's marriage and family therapists, there's counselors, there's psychoanalysts, there's psychotherapists, there's like a million different varieties that all to some degree have a unique professional identity. Mm -hmm. You were just talking about the psychoanalytic tradition, it being the eldest Mm. of the therapy, quote unquote, professions does have a culture within it that is much more generous and invitational to its participants. uh, But it is also more rigid in some ways Mm -hmm. to outside opinion and even definitely scrupulous toward internal opinion as well yeah but there is i think a more just in my experience of it from the outside a more unified identity understanding of we we consume and produce research Mm -hmm. whereas on you know the other end of the spectrum um with counselors and you know different helping professions there might be more dissonance there where we actually consume research more. And you and I last week were talking about how, you know, my experience of growing up in counselor education, um, there's an explicit agenda at the master's level from even our accrediting agencies that students will become consumers of research, active consumers of research. Yeah, And I think that's a beautiful intention from a standardization standpoint to say, we hope that our students are regularly engaging with research. Mm. But I think one of the implications that has is that it narrows our focus away from what is left out of that standard. Mm -hmm. What is outside of consuming research? Yeah. Is producing research at all an agenda item? And just circumstantially, it is at the doctoral level for counselor education and supervision, but it's not at the master's level. What are the implications of that? I think that's some of the, what we were questioning kind of at the beginning of our conversation mm-hmm. last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if I think about this in the terms of any other paradigm, if I think of I eat a lot of food and get a lot of sleep, but I never use any of my energy, there's going to be some form of toxicity that builds up in my body. Yeah. I have to actually use the energy I'm consuming yeah. Yeah, to produce and be in a movement, in a fluid kind of process. And and I think there's also like a right-wrong dynamic that we, I, when we talked about the Porges article on polyvagal theory is dead, um, question mark, <laughs> uh, is polyvagal theory dead? Uh, go listen to that episode yeah, if right. you don't know that answer. Um, <laughs> yeah, but we talked about how there are some people in communities that rely more heavily on research as like they're seeking rights and wrongs and they want to kind of create a divide in the conversation whereas there's other types of research which i think it's our bend is towards this type of research which is people taking vulnerable creative steps into a conversation and saying like this is where i think the conversation is helpful and this is where it's not and i want to fill in that gap or give some language to that gap there i feel that we are consistently having to be generous to the first type of author that Mm. you just outlined that is looking for rightness to be brought to conversation Mm. and i'm you know i don't know if this is the place for you and i to explore what that's about in each of us but I feel like we're so not that way, like not really interested in a definitive or certainty. I think in both our philosophy and just our way of being in the world, you and I are 
probably on the far end of the spectrum to say that that doesn't exist at all anyway. Mm -hmm. So to try and introduce it arbitrarily feels, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Like that's, yeah. that's hard for me sometimes. Like when it's about objective things like assessment or an agreed upon, you know, standard of, uh, here's this way of doing something X, Y, and Z where a definitive is necessary. Yeah. Yeah. But I think when we, when we misapply that demand for certainty into theory or into a philosophy of psychotherapy mm. into, you know, just integration of concepts in general, that's where it starts to really, really feel strange. But I think that's what students often encounter is like, Oh, I don't research is about being correct. Yeah. Yeah. There's like an interesting, like I'm not worthy complex yeah. there of like, yeah. What would I have to offer to this? Any, any high level research yeah. conversation about therapy. Right. Right. And I think one of the things that I do really appreciate about the lit review we have gone on is we have, we have looked at a wide ranging mm. level of articles from your random control trials, meta analytic, theoretical, um, yeah. construct and like, um, epistemological mm -hmm. phenomenological yeah, yeah phenomenological forming articles to like the nitty-gritty of just one experiment yeah when we were back in shame and and i think the my hope is that listeners also get invited into to seeing that while maybe they don't feel equipped or have the uh, resources to produce one type of research article that speaks to the conversation in a certain way. I'm thinking of like a random control trial or like an experiment. As therapists, we have case studies mm -hmm. with us anywhere between one and hopefully not this many, but eight times a day. Yeah. And there is your research. <laughs> yeah. And I've not heard anybody talk about that. Hmm. Like throughout my entire educational career, I've not heard anybody say that, that what we do as, as healers, as therapists, as counselors is we interact in case studies, which is like, there's an interesting aversion going on subconsciously. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like that, that is the psychoanalytic posture like, tradition. Yeah. Like was just basically Freud and some friends. <laughs> Who were like, let's just write and start talking about this all the time. The experiences that we're yeah. having. And then people started to jump in and say counter experiences. And then boom, you had a discourse. beautiful discourse that started to be edifying in some way. Yeah. Uh, and but that's like really what it was. at some point we we disintegrated from that tradition and you can see that divide in the professions today. But totally. Um, I feel so generous and even like exciting. I oh think. my gosh. To me, that is actually, and this is a part of my research agenda professionally, is that I actually think that that is, that is more unifying to our profession than the absence of any articulation of our research or philosophical agenda. Hmm. Um, to say that what we do is case study work. One, that aligns the priorities of the curriculum far in my opinion far more meaningfully than you know we need to be talking about ethical standards and things like that like i think that's important but if it's not on the foundation of what are we actually trying to go for here i i think we're aimlessly wandering with mm -hmm. this imposter syndrome i think i'm supposed to be doing something correctly it's about helping skills it's a you know I just think that our agendas kind of get skewed there. Whereas if we named that what we're doing is learning how to be in a case study and to hold space for the open process of another person's subjectivity, bringing in a lot of objective means and tools and things that we've been trained in, yes, but we need to calibrate our sensitivity toward the case study process. Mm -hmm of the client yeah of our partner yeah 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 to me there and 
to think that so many people have like they're publishing not successful therapy right they're publishing failed therapy like failed where therapy did not go well and seeking to add that to the conversation which is like kind of a funny like oh i have those yeah so i could publish like yeah <laughs> and in a way <laughs> yes yeah 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 and i think it would be really edifying not only for other people but for myself yeah to sit with a case which is why we love case conceptualization but to slow down the ever churning demand like yeah, yeah demand and train of i've got to just keep going yeah to slow down and sit with like what was in that moment yeah and that collection of moments that could potentially be how i come to understand yeah why that took place in the way that it did yeah yeah mm. you said a phrase and you said it earlier i just want to repeat it that at the master's level clinicians in our kind of educational standard the language is that we're supposed to be consumers of research yeah at the doctoral level it's that producers. they're supposed to be producers of research yeah um and beautiful but it i think what we're saying is it has its limitations yeah and well even just looking at statistically you know if we look at all counselors who graduate and see that 20% of those are going to go on to the doctoral level. That's that's how many go on? Roughly. Wow. That's actually yeah. higher than I thought. Yeah. Okay. I mean, but awesome. that's 80%. That's okay. Yeah. Who are not yeah. ever invited dispositionally. Yeah. To become producers of research. Yeah. That's a problem. Especially when you look at the of the 20% that go on to become counselor educators. How many of those are actively publishing? Hmm. It's not twenty. It's not a hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> it's much lower than that. Yeah. And of the like, that's where to me it just is a beautiful tragedy that of the people who are publishing, how many are actually invited into this type of journey for publication? Hmm. Even less. Like the more and more narrow it becomes, because we're not having this conversation publicly. Mm -hmm. That do we really understand the mechanism of publication in our field that influences every single one of us, whether we like to look at it or not? Mm -hmm. Like even if you're a counselor or a therapist or whatever that hasn't picked up a journal in 10 years, your practice is completely shaped by conversation happening around you. Oh yeah. Like the way you're able to even advertise your services, the way you're able to describe what you're doing, the way you're able to charge people for the service, et cetera. Yeah. All of that is being talked about at an academic level, but that's not, that's not the whole thing. Right. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah. What we want to do with this season is invite you as the listener into this process of original research. Yeah. And yeah, and the potential that, you know, whether you're, whether you're just giving this to a friend to read or presenting a case study at a consultation circle or you are seeking your own publishing like wanting to invite you along we've we've read so you don't have to but we've invited you along to the whole read time. it with us yep. and now as we read and disseminate what we read to the listeners we also want to invite you to create with us yeah and you know, maybe it's for a journal, maybe it's not, but this act of producing research. Yes. Like even at the most granular granular level of you're just sharing this to your best friends. Like Yeah. Talk about it. Yeah. Talk about what you're experiencing. It's exactly. And that to me, it really at the core of this season, I think, is our deepest message is that don't just think about what I can fit in my head. And that hopefully that translates into into my practice like open your posture toward this flow of energy and information not mm. just a hoarding of it mm. you know that we're supposed to be engaging with making meaning of but it's it's an interpersonal process um i i hope that people feel encouraged by this season to engage engage professionally in yes write for publication reach out to us we'll talk with you through that 
present at local and regional and national conferences. Like get engaged in the conversation because I know it seems like a lot and there's not a lot of money in it <laughs> unless you're doing <laughs> grant work and whatever, yeah, yeah. but it, it's really, really meaningful. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this season is going to show just that. Like it, yeah. it is meaningful and it can be, I mean, it is to me one of the most fun things to do mm. and it can be really, really fun. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's like creating, yeah, it is art. It's art. And, and that the, the vulnerability and excitement yeah. that is involved in creating any form of art is, I mean, it's at the core of who we are as humans. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And so I think what we're doing in part is, is recontextualizing the process of research away from cerebral, objective, linear, mm. you know, reliability and validity, important constructs, but recontextualizing it into a domain of translating human experience mm. and for mutual benefit. Yeah. 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 I love the language that we've used. I don't know if we've used it yet in the episode, but the idea of demystifying the process yeah. of publishing and creating your own yeah. research is that it, it feels like you're flying into a fog yeah. sometimes. And, Quite frankly, until you got your PhD, I didn't know half the stuff. I didn't know a fourth of the stuff that I now know just because you're in the world. Yes. You've seen beyond the curtain, the Wizard of Oz moment. Exactly. And it's like, oh, this isn't like some mystical, spiritual thing, the club that I can't get into because I don't have the, the, the stuff. Yeah. The letters Accolades, at the end of my name and yeah. degrees. And yeah. 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 No, it's, it's a human conversation. And that was one of the biggest learning moments for me as well, getting into thinking more deeply about the process of producing a manuscript than just, oh, I, I feel a gap in the research from a bunch of different sources. <laughs> and so I'm going to try and speak to that gap and see if anybody will take me up on it is what I thought I think before mm -hmm. I've just like that's what you do if but you, you it's don't like fishing yeah exactly yeah <laughs> just yeah. casting out into it's a giant sea yep I think this don't even is, know if you have the right bait yeah exactly yeah. like you think so yeah because like oh I you know I saw this thing maybe it's, it's a part of the pretty. ecosystem yeah like, so yeah let's toss that out there and just see if anything if anything comes up um one of the analogies that we were talking about just to help contextualize this, I think before I got into the producing side of of research, it was like I thought the world of research was like a produce market. Like I wanted produce, so I went to the market and I see there's yams and there's potatoes and there's tomatoes and onions and celery and all of this stuff. And it's just like, great, that's what it means to be a produce stand owner. Mm. Um, and so if I want produce, I go to that stand and I purchase what's available. Well, if we think about for the produce stand owner, they're really dependent on what goods are around them. You know, do what farmers are bringing what good to them. If they want to sell carrots, but nobody's bringing carrots, they don't get to sell carrots. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, Out of the business. <laughs> sorry. Like, yeah. We're, we're doubling up on potatoes this year. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but that was really what I thought the research world was like, was like, mm. okay, so a journal just has a bunch of random conversations going on and you find what you want through a search engine. Like you just like, <laughs> yeah. go to this like mall of supermarkets yeah. and you're like meandering around trying to find like are you guys talking about trauma with like first responders like oh you're not okay yeah, yeah. and you go down the road yeah. and like in oh, the journal of child psychology exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah they're yeah. like no dude down the road <laughs> like you're like yeah. okay, okay. Like, maybe my boolean search terms are not right so like yes. <laughs> you know um but what i learned kind of going through this process is that it's not at all like that um the owners of the produce stand actually got there from formal election within the journal and they have an agenda explicitly as an editor 
All the people under them then have a means of carrying out that agenda, but that person is coming with a research interest of their own Mm. that they want to see materialize in the journal that they are now the editor of. And so if a person comes to to that person and just says, I want you to publish what I want, there's no way that editor, there's no reason for that editor to be up for that. So we were playing around with this metaphor that it's more like instead of just a random produce stand, it's like a beet connoisseur like stand. Like I want to sell very specific. I'm trying to do really interesting things with beets. Yeah. Like I want multiple types of beets. I want people doing different things with beets. I want them canned. I want them steamed. I want them Farmer's like Farmer's market of beets. It's just beets. <laughs> like, yeah. So that's like the child uh, psychiatry journal. Yeah. It's yeah. like we're talking about children and their pathology and what is normal, quote unquote. Yeah. Well, if I show up to that beet stand with like some garden variety potatoes, I'm going to be laughed at. Like, I'm going to be like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Like, sure, those potatoes look good, but I, we're trying to do interesting things with beets. We're trying to push the envelope of what's possible in beet <laughs> ecology. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm not really interested in your other ground variety of vegetables. Yeah. And geriatrics <laughs> and psychiatry. Yeah. Like, I'm not. Nope. I, cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not interested in that. And that's where, if you learn though that there is a space that's interested in your potatoes, <laughs> like you can go there and talk about those things. And for us as as clinicians to kind of, you know, de-abstract this this metaphor, if we don't understand that submitting a journal or submitting a manuscript to a journal is like handing somebody a, a, a personal story that you wrote and asking them to publish it in their name. Like, there's a lot of vulnerability, there's a lot of intentionality, there's a lot of expectation in that process. And for us as clinicians who are writing and thinking and trying to get our voice into the conversation, we have to understand that there's already a conversation going on. Hmm. And let's learn what they're talking about and oh, and the air just kicked son of a <laughs> and then it kicked back on it joked us it joked us but you know learn that the conversation is going on and that as we enter the room we need to learn like what they're talking about first mm-hmm. some of the words they're using what they're familiar with maybe what they're not familiar with and see if we can incorporate that into what we write yeah which is still finding like i think maybe it personal generous terms is to find where your expertise and experience could fit in and say something unique and individual and to a, yeah. a much larger conversation because there it, is and I, I just don't think that that's a construct that's introduced at the master's level it's mm. interesting that we're supposed to be consumers of research but we're never talked to like that like hey if you're interested in this there's journals out there for you yeah 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 never no just like (laughs) search what you're looking for yeah well if at all i mean or go to a podcast where people are searching it for you i mean yeah yeah yeah. yeah. exactly we're gonna be really honest yeah 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 do you want to transition into what the article will be yeah because i think what i'd like to do is maybe give some background into why this even why we decided to write an article and then what topic what topic yeah um because once we decided, oh, it'd be really cool if we started the process of inviting people to also start to share their own stuff. And we could do that and guide, give them a taste of what that process is like. And I was like, okay, what are we going to write? <laughs> and I had, I have had some conversations and working in the Midwest in the Bible Belt with clients who are, are both still in uh, what I would consider to be like classic Christian religious practices or are wrestling with moral injury and spiritual abuse and trauma from certain institutions within that religious practice. Biblical stories come up all the time yeah, in therapy and uh, both in like trying to deconstruct them and trying to maybe salvage them and, and connect would- them with <clears throat> therapy. Yeah. I'm interested as well, like with what you're sharing, in my experience, they come up explicitly, yes, but the moral ethic is almost 
in every session. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, very much. Like that that's how we learn shame. Yeah. One is like right and wrong is is you can trace it back to like, well, it's like Christian in some way. Very you much. Know? Yeah, yeah. 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 And I think I really appreciate you saying that because it yeah, it's very rare that it comes up explicitly. Right. But then what I've noticed is that there's something to the more Western scientific spin that my client and I can collaboratively process together about some of these stories that give way to these feelings and these like internal templates of like shame, love, hope, you know, sin, fear, fear, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, all of these things that haunt clients on a day-to-day basis or our attempts to give some anchoring and safety. Yeah. That there was something about the science that I knew of therapy that felt like it was resonating and even bringing new light to different stories that clients had grown up with. Yeah. Even personally, like I was finding like, oh my God, like I'm rediscovering some of these stories, biblical stories from the lens point of modern science that isn't like. I, I would just say personally isn't making me like go back to church and on believe. a Sunday. Yeah, yeah. But it is, it is rescripting an ontological perspective. Yeah, the way of me. knowing yeah. the world. And that's because the through line, and we could replace Christianity with any of the major world religions. Oh, totally. Because yeah, yeah. what these introduce is, a, is an ontology, like you said. And if you're not familiar with that word, it's not uh, risking reductionism. The study of being. The study of being. Like the way of knowing. You'll hear epistemology and ontology like tossed around a lot in those. But essentially it's like, where are you? How do you know where you are? And how do you know what's around you? Where you're going. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, The reason that world religions are so captivating at the various levels, aside from just personal belief, but they introduce a pretty complete ontology, a way of knowing the world. Mm-hmm. at every major world religion that you look at. So, you know, Christianity is the one we're going to talk about because it's so prevalent here yes. in the Midwest. Yeah, But you could talk about them with any of them. Um, but Caleb, what I wanted to note is that the through line between why the resonance is there in reading and practicing modern relational science and these ontologies of myth is that they're both distinctly human. So you're going to find some deep resonance. Yeah. Hope, I mean, theoretically, 100% yeah. resonance. Yeah. What you discover, I think, in that is that the human ways of carrying out the ontological spiritualities is where it gets kind of messy. And that's where you see a lot of the religious abuse and tragic experiences that are so prevalent in the Christian church is like, well, yeah. Yeah. It's not the story's fault. <laughs> like yeah. it's the person carrying that out. But what we're going to look at is that let's see if we can actually listen to what's happening in the room in a way that can help us also understand some of these ontological origin stories. Yeah. And and why why this comes up to me in therapy so so prevalently is the connection between an origin stories kind of vernacular what it says about the core of somebody like are we good inherently good are we inherently bad like broken fixed whatever yep and then one language that i use very often which is very prevalent in this podcast is that i'm not conceptualizing symptoms as symptoms yeah. i'm conceptualizing symptoms as strategies and so then the base the core of the human is an adaptive organism yeah. that is is finding its way to stay safe in some form of connected participation in the world. Yeah. So then what came up in my mind was what would it be like to retell or rescript the meaning of the Genesis story with a polyvagal theory lens? Yeah. Like what would you what would you discover uh, in as far as like a different storyline or yeah. maybe the same storyline just in a new way 
if you apply polyvagal theory to, to this myth that in, in thousands and millions of people is a billions. myth. Billions of people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is a myth that informs how they view themselves at a structural foundational level granular yeah like i mean and that's that's one of the elements that we'll tackle in this project is the power of ontologies because that's regardless it, oh, i'm so excited for this yeah event. i'm so 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 excited yeah um regardless of whether or not you're christian or whatever like that for it's just amazing that caleb and i are going to do this together because both of us have a very you know different but very similar story of like we are not practicing Christians. Mm. Nope. Nope. So neither of us identify that way. So if you're like, well, I'm not Christian, so this isn't going to be a, a relevant to me. False. <laughs> like, yeah. Not true. We're talking about ontologies, but the way that the way that those show up in the room, I promise you, are just overflowingly constant. Every word every idea every feeling gets passed through an ontological lens and as humans we are amazing storytellers we find incredible meaning in these in these myths and i don't say myth like false i mean myth like story of origin um we'll get into that too but yeah um that map out an ontological landscape for us mm -hmm. that okay one way of reading that story is that humans are bad. That's the starting posture. Humans are bad. Yeah. And they became bad because of their choice. And so therefore they're on this journey by an external source of becoming good again. Yeah. And that's what it is. There's another way of listening to that, that no, humans are perfectly good. Always. Mm -hmm. They live in a world that's dangerous. And that they can betray themselves and others, but mm. that that never touches their goodness. And so the journey is discovering what is the good and bad in all of us. Yeah. And how will we become ourselves in becoming like God? Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, man. Yeah. I can't... And it, it really is, it does feel like one of those like zones. And, and I think it, the zone that I hope it fills just for both of us being so passionate about it is that it's something we're passionate about that is finding this is a if, recipe for research right here yeah, what you're doing something yeah. i'm passionate about that's finding tension mm -hmm. and like a little bit of a gap it's unresolved yeah it's, it feels unresolved literally in my practice yeah that i am like working on not as explicitly or consciously as I'd like to, which is yeah. why we're doing this, yeah. is to actually put some time to it. Yeah. But I don't know of anyone, and I'm, we might be wrong, but I don't know of anyone who has said, hey, let's, let's apply a Western dissecting lens of science to an Eastern story that was trying to just give people some compass in the world. Yeah. And to me, that's like a, that's not, I don't, I know we won't, and I don't hope that we expect a, of ourselves that we'll come to the end of yeah. the conversation, that we'll figure out yeah. the right way to, you know, read polyvagal theory or apply it to the biblical story of creation. Or work with ontology in session. Yeah. Like, those are yeah. long conversations. But I do hope that we contribute one creative way of yes. doing that. And I know we have to go, but just really quick. Polyvagal theory is so well suited for this conversation because as a theory of human evolutionary biology, uh, call back to that episode where mm -hmm. we talked about polyvagal theory, it is so well suited to offer an interpersonal neurobiology perspective and conversation partner mm. to the origin stories of Christianity. Yeah. That that's really what we're trying to do is we're trying to hear the meaning that can emerge when they're held together. Yeah. Not asking one to explain the other, vice versa. Because that's, I think, the dichotomy between science and belief that is, to me, an unnecessary tension. What if they were actually partners as opposed to arbiters of truth? Um, hmm. 
Yeah. So polyvagal theory, I think we'll we'll get into this as we describe kind of the introduction and lit review in our next episode, uh, the scope of it anyway. But it is uniquely well suited to join this conversation. Yeah. Uh, being that it pre, it 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 parallels the origin story of our species. Mm-hmm. Very much. Yeah. So here we go. We're going to write an article. And we hope, new parenthetical, and we hope you do too. We hope you do too. We hope you carry forward a conversation that's meaningful to you. And this is just, I'm so excited about this season because it'll be a process that you can rearrange and mix and Mm -hmm. change and do whatever with. But I love, Caleb, how you just said that, that it's, it's something we're passionate about. Something that I don't fully understand in my sessions, and it's not yeah, something that I want to engage in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if that is true for you, you can do research. Yep, and I would say you. I don't. I don't like putting shoulds on people, but a strong invitation. <laughs> <laughs> there is a strong invitation. I from hope us. that you do. Yeah, yeah. If those things are true. Yeah, if, because. The fact that you're finding a passionate resonance and it doesn't feel like it totally makes 100% sense means that your body is equipped with the artistic ability to create something new that could make more sense than what was previously made sense of. Yep. Which is just sick. The artistry of original research. That's what this episode's going to be called. Heck yeah. We found it. Nailed it. Well, heck yeah, brother. I'm excited. Yes. Can't wait. Come Uh, along. That's right. We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will help you stay curious and create community around discussing the research that matters most to clinicians and researchers. If you're curious to learn more about something you heard today, check out our website at www.beyondhealingcenter.com and go to the trainings tab for more information on our upcoming case conceptualization trainings and community events. You can also contact us by emailing trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. If you want to stay connected, please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes. Leave us a review and follow us on social media by searching the Evidence-Based Therapist Podcast.